Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you, as always, on this, uh, what is it, a Tuesday? It is a Tuesday. I mean, we do the podcast literally every Tuesday. Yeah. So it would seem like it would be relatively easy to remember what day of the week it is. All right. Starting off with some (laughs) shots here, Brendan. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, look, I saw my opportunity Across and I had to take it. Yeah. Um, we got a lot to talk about on this podcast. We're going to talk about the rotation battle heating up, perhaps. Not so much heating up as, um, you know, simmering along. Yeah. Um, it is occurring. It is occurring. We are going to talk about um, Michael Franco and the rumored interest in Michael Franco coming from uh, some national reports whether the Orioles could be interested in the free agent third baseman. We're going to be talking about the Orioles' outfield competition, how Cedric Mullins and DJ Stewart are making their, and Ryan McKenna even, are making yep. their impressions this spring, and other spring training storylines. But first, Brendan, we do have to, unfortunately, review the results of uh, last week's draft. Yes, we do. It was a 2021 Orioles roster draft. Yep. And... Um, Unfortunately, uh, you won. Yes. Well, honestly, I thought the results would be even bigger in my favor. I held but my own, I think. You held your own, I think, in large part due to the fact that you were given a, a team personal DJ, and I was not given yes. that option. And I think that that really hurt my, my runaway landslide victory. Yeah, I think you got some some votes just because you had a DJ, and that's just something that my team unfortunately could not provide. Yeah, if you're watching on uh, Facebook and YouTube and and Twitter, I uh, unfortunately instead of listing Ramon Urias on these rosters listed uh, as a DH, I listed yeah. Ramon Urias as a DJ. Yeah, I got confused with DJ Stewart. I think. And it just came out as a DH. A lot of DHs, DJs. And uh, he might be a DJ on the side. He could. For all that we know. However, he is, for the sake of this exercise, a DH. This, this of course, was the draft we did last week where we were given all the options on the Orioles' 40-man rosters plus some of the spring training invitees. We drafted them. Brendan had the first overall pick. He took John Means. And yep. I think this draft was really over after the first five or so picks. Right. It went John Means by you, and then it was a snake draft. So I went back-to-back with Trey Mancini and Dean Kramer. Had to take a pitcher. Yep. And then you went with Anthony Santander and Ryan Mountcastle. I think you got the three best players of those five. Well, look, if you didn't take Dean Kramer with that third pick, it was a tough spot to be in because I absolutely would have boxed you out and been mean and then had both John Means and Dean Kramer in my rotation, and your ace on your team would have had to be Keegan Aiken. Yeah. Which is not really the ace that you would like so I think for the, your team. I think the deck was stacked against me. It was. It was a tough position to be in, and I was able to get John Means and then two of the top three hitters on the O's. I'm just saying my team is more fun because 
I can actually host parties with my team. Yeah. I can do... I, I would like to file agreements. Weddings, bar that mitzvahs, I any kind of events. was not even given the opportunity to draft a DJ. Well, maybe you should uh, make the graphics next time, and then you'll give yourself the opportunity to change <laughs> I whatever you need to. I just should have thought of that. <laughs> I should have. Uh, Natalie on Facebook asking if we uh, have been thinking about drafting mascots next. Tune in next week. That's what we're going to do next week. Yeah. We were going to do it this week, and then... Um, well, we forgot. Ten minutes before the podcast, I said, hey, Brendan, are we drafting mascots this week? And I said, whoops. Yeah. Yeah. So we forgot to do our prep. Sorry. I think we know who the number one overall pick is going to be in that in that draft. I don't know. Say it on the count of three. Three, two, one, Philly, Philly fanatic. fanatic. Well, they, we'll have to wait and see. I'm curious to see where Orbit goes. The Astros right. mascot. Kind of some bad what blood there. What did he know? Was he involved in anything? Did he start it? Did he start it, it? his idea? He's got some alien technology. Maybe he helped. Right. Much to consider when talking about He might about tumble Orbit. down some draft boards. Will Gritty find his way into the draft board even though he's not a baseball mascot? No. That seems like the kind of thing Gritty would do. Gritty is more than a mascot. Gritty is <laughs> the embodiment of an, of an idea. Um, we could talk all day about yeah. Gritty. Anyway. we got some spring training. The final votes of this, Brendan had 127 votes. I had 77. So 62 to 38%. Brendan took home the uh, 2021 Orioles roster draft. Congratulations. Go team. All right. Let's move on from yeah. this. Uh, let's start talking about this Orioles rotation battle because I think uh, it, when I said it was more simmering along, what I mean by that is nobody has really taken the bull by the horns yet. We are only a week into spring training. And when you look at the final spots of the rotation, of course, we are slotting in John Means, Dean Kramer, and Keegan Aiken for now, assuming that nothing disastrous happens over the next three weeks and one of those roster spots opens. For now, the bottom two or three, if they go with a six-man rotation, spots in the rotation are open. You got Wade LeBlanc, you've got Felix Hernandez, you've got Matt Harvey, you've got Thomas Eshelman, you've got maybe even Jorge Lopez. Yep. Uh, and then you have the field. We have really only seen one start so far from each of the four guys that I listed, Eshelman, Felix, Harvey and LeBlanc. So we do not have a whole lot of sample size. And Brandon right. Hyde is bringing up every time he possibly can that it is just spring training. We are just getting started with spring training. So don't read too much into anything. However, we're gonna, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna read as much into this as possible because it's all we have at right. this point, especially for the guys who are new to the organization, like a Felix and a Harvey. Nobody has really grabbed the bull by the horns yet, with the exception maybe of Wade LeBlanc. Wade LeBlanc, I think, looked the most impressive out of the rest of the guys. Not that the bar was incredibly high, because there have been a few rough outings from Orioles pitchers, but Wade LeBlanc, two innings, two strikeouts, no earned runs. He said he was kind of disappointed in his season last year and has something to prove. In spring training with that ERA, what, up, up over eight yeah. last season? So Wade LeBlanc, I think, needed to come in and have a good spring training as one of the guys that the Orioles have on that bigger name minor league contract. And LeBlanc looked solid in his two innings. He was kind of that crafty lefty, which we have grown accustomed to with Wade. Yeah, and with Wade, I think it's different because you're looking maybe a little bit less at the velo yes. and more at just, I guess, his off-speed pitches whereas for Felix and Harvey a lot of the emphasis is going to be how fast is that fastball right because those are two guys where velocity is much more important to them right and there was a lot of um there were a lot of eyes on the radar gun for both Felix and Harvey Harvey 
was right around where he was previously in terms of fastball velocity, right around where he was last year when he was with the Royals. Um, not near the career highs when he had like 95, 96 right. uh, when he was back with the Mets. But Matt Harvey was hitting 93, 94 with his fastball. That was a good sign. Everything else was kind of a bad sign. He did not yeah. strike anybody out. He got a lot of hard contact. He gave up some home runs uh, against the Blue Jays last Friday. So two innings pitched for Matt Harvey, three earned runs, no strikeouts, four hits, fastball average 93 miles per hour. Not what you were hoping for. Again, first start, only two innings, small sample size, but Matt Harvey did not appear, uh, did not look the part in that first start. Well, of the three guys, of Matt Harvey, Felix Hernandez, and Wade LeBlanc, Harvey, over his career, has relied on the hard fastball more than, much more so than the other two. Yeah, Matt Harvey, early in his career, was the kind of pitcher where he could get by with his stuff because he was ramping up his fastball in 98-99, and then when he threw a slider or a changeup, it surprised you because he was so overwhelming with the fastball that he could get you guessing with the off-speed. The off-speed wasn't all that impressive early on in his career, and now that the velo is down, he has to rely on that off-speed stuff more and it really hasn't paid off too awful much. I think Harvey can survive in the low to mid-90s fastball. Like, if he's hitting 93, 94, 95, I think he can still be an effective pitcher, but he's really going to need to work a lot more on that off-speed stuff because he can't rely on the fastball anymore. I'm sure it's a mindset change yeah. for him. You have to really change up your approach when you're going against hitters because the fastball just isn't what it used to be. And even 93-94 in today's game is not blowing guys away. No, that is a below-average four-seam fastball. It's more than Wade, and it's more than Felix, but you're going to need a little bit of extra something on that fastball. You're going right. to need some spin rate on that fastball, yeah, and which the is spin something rate he has not had. Not there. It's not like Keegan Aiken, where the yeah. fastball is the low to mid-90s, but the spin rate makes it look way more overwhelming. Yeah. The spin rate has not been there for Matt Harvey. He talked about it when he came in in his first Orioles press conference. He said he... This was the first offseason he was really kind of paying attention to that sort of stuff, yeah. which was a little bit eyebrow-raising because you've got to do that to survive right. in this day and age. So then the third pitcher in this is Felix Hernandez. He was the last one of those three to get a start. Him against the Tigers on Saturday, uh, not great. Mid-80s fastball, I think, is even more concerning than the fact that he gave up uh, three runs or two runs, I believe, in yeah. two innings. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned as much about the two earned runs. What I think we are much more concerned with is the fact that his fastball was in the mid-80s. Yeah, and afterwards he said, you know, first start in a year, which it is. He yep. has not pitched in a game since last spring training when he was with the Braves. However, he's going to have to ramp it up a little bit more than mid-80s. And I'll be curious to see if he does his next time around uh, in spring training because a he topped out around 88 miles an hour, according to him. The radar guns were saying about 86, 87 for Felix Hernandez to be successful, it's not going to be like Wade LeBlanc where he can get by with a mid-80s right. fastball. He's going to need a higher velocity, and it was more concerning, too, because his last year uh, in the big leagues, pitching regular season games, he was hitting, he was averaging around 90-plus miles right. an hour. So to take a, uh, several steps back, again, first start in a year, 
but that is definitely concerning. Yeah. I mean, the first spring training game, you would probably expect the velo to be down a few ticks. And if his fastball was averaging, averaging an 87, 88, okay. Because that probably means that if it's averaging 87, 88, hopefully by the time he ramps it up a little more, gets to the regular season, he's around an 89, 90. But the fact that his fastball was probably averaging, what, around 85, 86? Yeah. And then topping out at 87? Hopefully, if he ramped things up, you can get to an 88, 89. But I don't know how much that velo is going to... Maybe it was just his first spring training start. He wasn't trying to push it too much. Yeah. He didn't want to risk you know injury or something like that by throwing too hard the first time out. And maybe we'll see him come out and pitch 90, 91 on the fastball. But I think he has to live somewhere around that 90-91 in order to be successful. Yeah. Because we talked about Matt Harvey and how tough it is to have a fastball that sits 93-94 when you're talking about him. Felix has got to be 90-91. You, you, would you think. can't live with 88. You would think. And then the dark horse in this competition, I would say, is, is Thomas Eshelman. Could earn a spot in the rotation in the bullpen. He's versatile there. He is another guy who is on a minor league deal and with a spring training invite. So it it hurts his case that he's not already in the organization, but it allows us to lump him in with those other guys. He pitched in the, in the spring training opener, rather, back in last day of February, gave up just one earned run in one inning. He's the known commodity. So we're kind of more evaluating, and I think the organization is just especially putting emphasis on what they're seeing from the first three guys, LeBlanc, Harvey, and Felix, because they know what Eshelman can give you. We talked about on previous podcasts how we would kind of rank the guys, those four guys, in terms of likelihood to make the roster. Probably put Felix number one. Yep. Before the this was before sight unseen. We had seen any of these guys pitch in an Orioles uniform. We would put Felix number one, Harvey number two, LeBlanc number three. Would you still and then probably Esherman four. Would you still rank those guys in that order in terms of likelihood to make the roster? I don't know if I would. Yeah. I think I would still probably put Felix Hernandez at one solely because it's Felix Hernandez. And I think of any of the guys that need that velocity, I think Felix Hernandez has the best chance to figure things out. He talked about really wanting to impress with his numbers so that he could make a run at the Hall of Fame. That seems very important to him. So I think... For Hernandez, he will do what he needs to do to be as effective as possible. I'm confident in that in Felix Hernandez, and I think he is just the most talented of the four and will have a pretty good chance to make the roster. Yeah. I think where my change is, I think I might put Wade LeBlanc ahead of Matt Harvey in terms of odds to make the team. I think LeBlanc and Thomas Eshelman are two that fall into the category of a little bit safer you know what you're getting out of them. I know the ERA out of LeBlanc last year was not good, but I think if you take Wade LeBlanc and Matt Harvey, LeBlanc is definitely the safer choice. With Harvey, you're hoping that he can turn back the clock a few years, find that velocity, find ways to use his other pitches effectively. Wade LeBlanc is just a crafty lefty. He's going to give you, he's going to eat innings. He might not go nine innings shutout, but. He'll go five or six innings and give up four or five runs. Yeah. That's just kind of what Wade LeBlanc does. And so I think he might have a better bet to make the team at this point than Matt Harvey. And when we talk about, you know, obviously Matt Harvey has a higher ceiling in theory because he was a better pitcher at his peak than Wade LeBlanc ever was. And with the Mets, he was a Cy Young vote earner. He was a 
starter in the World Series. However, he is way more removed from that peak than even Wade LeBlanc. Because Wade LeBlanc, you know, the, the peak may not be as high, but just a few years ago, you look back to his most recent good season, and it was probably 2018 with Seattle. He had a 3.72 ERA. So he's, you know, that's three years ago. But Matt Harvey's last good season was five years ago. Right. Uh, 2016, probably. 2015. So he's closer to that, you know, hitting his ceiling than Matt Harvey is. The yes. ceiling is higher for Harvey, but I think it's more likely that Wade LeBlanc at this point in his career, 36 years old, can still hit that because, you know, the last year's stats, especially for Harvey with the with the Royals, were not good. He has yeah. not had a good season in quite a while. So there is risk to adding him to your roster, your opening day roster, and just assuming he's going to figure it out because he might not, and you might be saddled with, a, a you know, sticking him in a position where he's making a million dollars now to be on your team. He has no trade value, and he's not good every fifth day. Yeah, spring training is not the end-all, be-all, but I think with Matt Harvey, you are looking for that glimmer of hope that yeah. he is going to show you flashes of the pitcher that he once was with the Mets and even the good time that he had with the Reds. He had a yeah. pretty solid season, not the Matt Harvey of old, but it was still a solid starting pitcher that you could certainly work with at the back end of your rotation. At least so far through his two innings where he gave up four hits and three earned runs and the fastball velocity wasn't probably where he wants it to be. You didn't really see that glimmer of hope no. that he showed flashes of the pitcher that he used to be. So that is why, at least for right now, I'm bumping him below Wade LeBlanc in terms of likelihood to make the team. I still yeah. put him above Thomas Eshelman because Thomas Eshelman is safe in a similar way to Wade LeBlanc, but he has never been as good as Wade LeBlanc. He doesn't have the same track record. So at least for me personally, I would still rather roll the dice on Matt Harvey than go with Thomas Eshelman. But I don't know. At least what we've seen so far from spring training Wade LeBlanc seems to have a leg up on Matt Harvey. Yeah, and Thomas Eshelman is the known commodity, as mentioned, and and he is a little bit safer in terms of, I think he's more likely to, you know, his his ceiling is, again, not as high, but he's probably not going to get you much in a, in a trade either, like Matt Harvey would, but I would definitely feel safer, more comfortable yes. having him start a game than having Matt Harvey start a game. Yes. 2021 version of Matt Harvey start a game. Yes. And Travis on Facebook says it's way too early to tell on any of them. Let's see yeah, another I mean, start or two. Yeah. We agree. We uh, need to see some more starts out of these guys before we yeah. can completely evaluate. We're just calling it like we see it right now. I'm just wondering what the organization needs to see from Matt Harvey. What is, what is that glimmer of hope going to look like? You know, is it going to be two scoreless innings or is it going to be him hitting 95 on his fastball? But he has to hit some kind of one of those things. Yes. I think he can't, you know, he, he didn't check either of the boxes in terms of his stuff did not look great and the performance was not there, that the success was not there. He didn't check either of those boxes. And if, if Wade LeBlanc for another start or two puts up another couple scoreless innings, that's going to boost his chances. And I don't know if the Orioles want to hand Matt Harvey a million dollars if he's, you know, the final couple starts of his spring training look like the first one did. I think for Harvey, at least what I would be looking for, I don't even know if I'd be looking for the earned runs. I don't know if I would say, okay, Harvey, you have to go out and go two scoreless. Yeah. 
but he didn't have a strikeout and he allowed four hits. Yeah. So I at least need to see Matt Harvey striking guys out and just not giving up that many hits. Honestly, if the whip can come down and if the strikeout numbers can go up over the next few spring training games, then I would feel more confident about Matt Harvey. I don't even think it's as much about the earned runs at this point. Just get guys out. Yeah. Well, if Thomas Eshelman is a dark horse in this competition, I think you can include Jorge Lopez in that category yeah. as well because he was added off waivers in the middle of last season, came over from the Kansas City Royals, had a couple starts where he looked like he could be a serviceable starter in that rotation, and then the final start or two of the season, he kind of fell apart. He's a former first-round pick. Um, he's 28 years old, so he's a little bit older. We didn't draft him in our 2021 roster draft. We don't think there's a great chance he makes the team, but he looked good the other night in relief of Felix Hernandez Saturday night. And Brandon Hyde seems to be pretty positive, pretty high on Jorge Lopez at this point. Yeah, none of his pitches are really overwhelming. Yeah. I, I don't think any of them have fantastic numbers in terms of the sabermetrics of the pitches. But I don't know. I mean, they, they I seem to really like Jorge Lopez. They do. And, and I think we've downplayed a little bit how much the Orioles value Jorge Lopez. In terms of what we're talking about, here was Brandon Hyde the other day talking about Jorge Lopez's uh, good relief appearance. Yeah, Georgie was really good tonight. I just liked how aggressive he was in the strike zone. That's a big thing for us is to be on the attack uh, from, uh, from the first pitch of an at-bat. Um, something we've talked a little bit about, and Georgie took that right into the game. I thought he really attacked their hitters well. Use both his two-seamer and his four-seamer, something he's been working on also. Uh, and as well as throwing some nice off-speed pitches to keep guys off balance. But Georgie's got a really nice arm. He's got a really hard, tough sinker. Um, to complement that with a good four-seam fastball he, he, that he showed tonight, I thought, uh, I thought it was a great, great outing for him and something to build off of. So part of the reason I bring this up is because we have been – a little bit down on Jorge Lopez on the podcast before. Yeah. And people have come sometimes called us out for it and saying, well, he almost pitched a perfect game several years ago. He's a first round pick. But I, I don't quite see it with this guy. But apparently the organization does. Are we lower on Jorge Lopez's chances to make the team than we should be? I, have we been underestimating his chances to, to make this team? I'm, to me, he's on the know. outside looking in. Because I look at the rest of this this roster, and I think there are seven relievers that you would rather have over him. Right. And I would rather have Felix, Har maybe Harvey. I would rather have Felix, LeBlanc, and Eshelman 100% over Jorge Lopez. Well, Jorge Lopez, you've got to remember, too, maybe the Orioles are looking at him with a very narrow scope and just looking at him for this season. What can the Orioles pitching coaches get out of Jorge Lopez because historically he hasn't pitched well. I mean, he hasn't had an ERA under six since 2018 and that ERA was 503. Yeah. What was it last year? Over, well over six, I believe. The last year it was a 669 ERA. Yeah. So he has never really showed flashes at the major league level. He's had good games here and there, but over a full season, he has never showed that he can keep a good ERA, whereas pretty much everybody else that we've been talking about, whether it be Hernandez, Harvey, LeBlanc, or even Eshelman, has shown that they can sustain a full season with a good ERA, and we haven't seen that out of Jorge Lopez. And I would 
he's still, he's also 28. Like it's, it, you know, he's not yet 30, but I would rather go with a 25, 26 year old Max Sorol or Tyler Wells, one of your two rule five picks who you've invested um, a little bit of something, what, $100,000 into yeah. for those guys. I would rather have one of those guys that you think might have more potential at this point than a 28-year-old Jorge Lopez. I mean, Soroller and Tyler Wells have not been great, and I still don't think you can carry either of them. I think it's more likely that the Orioles try to add Tyler Wells yep, because he has been better this spring than Max Soroller has. He's given up one earned run, struck out one in two innings total. Max Soroller has gotten hit around five earned runs, uh, including two homers in an inning and a third in total so far this spring. Not great. So I don't think you can carry either of those guys, yeah. but... I would rather carry Tyler Wells than a Jorge Lopez where you still, he just has not shown me enough to think that I can keep him on this team. Well, I would probably rather carry Tyler Wells than I would Jorge Lopez. And we aren't even bringing up the fact that, hey, the Orioles might just carry 13 pitchers instead of 14. And then all of a sudden, I might rather carry Ramon Urias instead of Jorge Lopez. Ryan McKenna instead of Jorge Lopez. So... I don't know if Lopez has shown enough over his career. Somebody brought up to make a push for the team. De- but sorry, Dennis on Facebook says Bruce Zimmerman. He would rather have Bruce Zimmerman is another Makes one sense. too that we yeah. haven't really talked about too awful much. But I, I don't know. I just don't see enough from Lopez's track record to be all that confident that he can be a solid starting pitcher for the Orioles in 2021. Maybe the coaching staff sees something different. Yeah, and, and in terms of his stuff, you heard Brandon Hyde talk about good four-seam fastball, um, some good off-speed pitches. You mentioned StatCast also. I was digging into it a little bit. His, he was in the first percentile last year. Small sample size. I know he only spent like about a month with the Orioles, uh, and he really only pitched in a couple games for the, for the Royals in 2020. He was in the first percentile in exit velo, third percentile in hard hit percentage, first percentile in fastball spin. So he's got... <laughs> an okay velocity on that fastball, but nothing else with that. I just don't, none of his pitches were ranked as above average. A lot of them were in the bottom part of the league. So I just don't, I I, I don't quite see it with Jorge Lopez. Maybe I'm missing something and there's probably something, there has to be something behind the scenes that the coaching staff or the front office likes about Jorge Lopez. Yeah. I just, I look at Thomas Eshelman especially and think this guy should be ahead of Jorge Lopez on the depth chart. He has had better performances. He has pitched in the as a starter out of the bullpen and looked pretty good in both roles. There are better cases for other players to make the roster than there is for Jorge Lopez. That being said, he looked good the other day and had a few scoreless innings in relief of Felix Hernandez. Yeah, not only the other pitchers, Paul, but the outfield has been really impressive for the Orioles so far in spring training. I mean, Cedric Mullins has been fantastic. DJ Stewart off to another good start before his injury with two home runs. Ryan McKenna has just four at-bats but has two hits in those four at-bats. And then Ramon Urias is hitting 308. He's got four hits in his 13 at-bats including a home run and three RBIs. So Ramon Urias is making a case to be another utility player, maybe alongside Pat Vileka on the Orioles bench. A lot of these hitters, Paul, might convince the Orioles to take 13 pitchers instead of 14. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Well, that's a perfect transition, Brendan. Let's talk about the outfield. Yeah. You, before the season, or before spring training, predicted that Ryan McKenna would sneak his way onto the roster here. I would. He has looked fine in spring training. 
Yeah. And he's been given a, a limited opportunity. He's looked pretty good. I still don't, He's still only 23 years old. I still think he makes his debut in 2021, but I don't think it, it comes on the opening day roster. DJ Stewart is currently injured. He's dealing with a little bit of a, a muscle strain. Uh, but DJ Stewart has looked great. Austin Hayes has looked pretty good. He's already got a home run in spring training. Cedric Mullins has looked maybe like the best player on this Orioles spring training roster. <laughs> 15 at-bats. Yeah. But he has been hitting the cover off the ball from the left side of the plate. Six hits in those 15 at-bats for Cedric Mullins. How about this outfield competition living up to the hype well, that look, it had pre-spring training? I started the Cedric Mullins hype train pretty early last season, and I am feeling pretty good about being the conductor of that hype train. Cedric Mullins now a full-time lefty, and he seems to be hitting left-handed pitchers better as a lefty than he was as a righty. I mean, he was probably coming up through the system, and coaches were telling him that he would have a better chance of making his way up and, and being used in lineups if he was able to hit both right-handed and left-handed. But at this point, he's got a good left-handed bat, and he has a very good glove in center field. So Cedric Mullins is quietly working his, well, maybe not so quietly, working his way into a potential starting center field job if you want to move Austin Hayes to a corner and then maybe Ryan Mountcastle at first or DH. I think Cedric Mullins is making a pretty big case to be the Orioles' everyday center fielder. Can I throw in a caveat? Well, sure. Uh, remember who was hitting the cover off the ball last spring, Brennan? Why don't you remind me, Paul? Chris Davis who was hitting the ball cover off the ball last spring. <sighs> Spring training statistics are... Let uh, me enjoy my hype train. Famously misleading. Uh, I know that he does look better and he passes the eye test and that's all well and good. Let people have fun. Uh, to me, Austin Hayes still has the extra bump over him. I know Cedric, Cedric Mullins, I think there was a very, very high chance coming into spring training he was going to make the roster. Yes. Now I think it's up roughly 100% yeah. that he's going to make the, the opening day roster. So he's done well, very well, and he's 100% cemented himself on this opening day roster. However, given the, the larger bulk sample size of regular season games, I would go with, with Austin Hayes in center. But that doesn't rule out a platoon, and I don't know what, what Brandon Hyde is thinking because he can move guys all around. He can put Austin Hayes in left, Austin Hayes in right, Cedric Mullins in left, Cedric Mullins in right. Right. Um, but he is, at, at least for now, I think Cedric Mullins has cemented his roster spot, staved off the, the uh, competition coming from maybe a Ryan McKenna um, or somebody else or a Eusenio Diaz trying to make the roster. He is, he is firmly there. At worst, Cedric Mullins is solidly the fourth outfielder. Yes. At worst. Yeah. I think at best, Cedric Mullins has a chance to be, at, at least at some point, the everyday center fielder if the Orioles decide that Ryan Mountcastle is better served at first base or just DH because obviously you need him in the lineup. You need Anthony Santander in the lineup, and you would like Austin Hayes in the lineup yeah. somewhere as well. So it's a good problem to have with the Orioles having four solid outfielders and make it five because DJ Stewart yeah. has also looked good. He has shown some good power. Not necessarily too great defensively, but you could stick him at DH. You could, yeah. and and you can. I still think you can stick him in a corner outfield if you need to. I think you could. He hasn't looked fantastic and, out there so far, but yeah. And Hyde is going to use that DH spot as a rotating uh, spot, and and we'll see what he does in that outfield because I think we're going to see all kinds of different combinations of outfield. I think we're going to see days where McKenna 
uh, or sorry, where Mountcastle is in left, we're going to see days where Mountcastle's DHing, where he's at first, where DJ Stewart's DHing, DJ Stewart's in right, Austin Hayes is in center, Austin Hayes is in left. He can do whatever he wants with yeah. that outfield. But the performances of Cedric Mullins and DJ Stewart have kept Ryan McKenna and Yusniel Diaz at bay. And it'll be interesting to see if if that success carries over into the regular season from DJ Stewart and Cedric Mullins. Is Yusniel Diaz going to have to wait a little bit? Is Ryan McKenna going to have to wait a little bit at AAA Norfolk? Because if this success carries over, you can't make a case for either McKenna or Diaz to take a roster spot from them. Well, look, not to open an entirely new can of worms, but I think if all of those outfielders are playing really well, I think you either move Ryan Mountcastle to first base DH on a more permanent basis. So yeah. you can move Yusniel Diaz up to the major league level and have him play one of those corner outfield spots. Or maybe you trade a corner outfielder because you have a lot of them. Anthony Santander? Not to open that can of worms, but I think gonna, it's yeah. a possibility. Rock Kabako opened that can of worms again on MassInSports.com, and yeah. I just thought, oh, man, the comments. Yeah. The mentions. Yeah. So we will see, let's but it is a let's, let's spare our own mentions. Please. It is a very good problem to have that the Orioles have what seven outfielders at this point that you could yeah. potentially see making a pretty big impact at the major league level in 2021. You've got Cedric Mullins, DJ Stewart, Ryan McKenna, Yusniel Diaz. Yeah, who am I forgetting? Ryan Mountcastle well, and, and Austin Hayes. And and McKenna and Diaz have had good spring training so yes. far. You know, fewer opportunities than Mullins and, and DJ Stewart. Now they'll, they'll get more opportunities now that DJ Stewart is shelved right now with an injury. Uh, but they've looked pretty good. The more concerning thing, not to, again, open another can of worms, and again, small sample size, but using the LDS's defense has not been spectacular. He made a, a nice diving, sliding grab the other day in right field, but probably got a bad read on the ball to start. He's kind of looked a little bit shaky in right and left field. So maybe some things to work on at yeah. AAA. A yeah. good reason to keep both Yusniel Diaz and Ryan McKenna exactly. down at the start of the season. And and he's worked a lot on his plate discipline uh, during the offseason, but he has struck out a lot to start spring yep. training as well. But he's shown that power. So it's, the, get there same, soon. it's the same story with Yusniel Diaz. Yeah. We're just waiting for him to put it all together because we yeah. know he has all those tools. Um, and McKenna has looked good as well, showing off his wheels. Yes. He's going to be a solid. How about Fangraphs listing him as the seventh best Orioles prospect? That was crazy. That I was think, the highest I think I've that's seen. high for Ryan McKenna. That's the highest I've seen Ryan McKenna in a long time. Well, look, the defensive metrics are probably great for Ryan McKenna, and I think the value that he can give you with playing any defensive outfield position probably bumps him up that high. I don't know if the bat would agree that he is the seventh best prospect in the Orioles system, but he has looked good and he is impressed at least so far with the Orioles in spring training. Yeah. All right. Let's switch over to a guy who's not on this roster, not in this spring training camp, but somebody who has been linked to the Orioles by John Heyman. That would be Michael Franco. Yeah. Somebody who uh, has been linked to some other better teams. People are bringing up in our chat that he's been linked to the Mets. So, you know, if a, a more competitive team is trying to sign him, they probably have the edge. However, well, I will say to that point, Paul, yeah. if Michael Franco is going to the Mets, he is more than likely not going to be starting. He is not going to be an everyday player. I don't see probably, him playing yeah. over somebody like J.D. Davis at third base. And of course, the Mets in the National League don't have a DH. So if Michael Franco is valuing the ability to play more often, mm -hmm. then maybe he decides to come to Baltimore. Well, let's talk about who he is as a player first and foremost, and then let's talk about whether he makes sense on yeah. this Orioles team. 
probably, you know, he's more known for his time as a Philly, but was spent last year with the Kansas City Royals, played all 60 games. He had 278 with eight homers, had an OPS of 778. Pretty solid, above-average offensive season for Michael Franco. The defense, a little bit of a different story. Uh, he's got a career defensive run saved as negative 37. I think he's improved defensively over the course of his career. Yes, that's the big point to make there. Yeah, but offensively, I would rank him as a pretty average to slightly above average offensive third baseman. Yes, I think he is a, a good offensive third baseman, and the knock on Michael Franco, of course, would be his defense, because if you look at his career numbers and his defensive runs saved, that number is not good. However, Paul, I would like to point out that over the last two seasons, he has a defensive run saved total of just negative three combined over those last two seasons. Is a negative three defensive run saved over two seasons good? No. Is it the worst third base defense in the league? Far from it. Yeah. It is a slightly below average defense at third base. And I think with Franco, the value that he gives you offensively is well worth that slightly below average defense at third base defense that has been much improved from his earlier career in Philadelphia. So now the question is, does he make sense on this Orioles team? He's not going to be signed as your long-term franchise third baseman. You know, he's still a free agent one plus week into March. So he's, he's out there be, for a reason because of his defensive uh, liability and maybe because of his, you know, maybe teams are concerned that that 778 OPS from his time with the Royals, is not going to continue. However, personally, I think he's a step above Rio Ruiz. Yep. And I think it's not particularly close. I think he is yep. a he is two years older. He's 28. Rio Ruiz is 26. But I think offensively, he is absolutely a better third baseman. Defensively, he's a slight step back, but the offense makes up for it. To me, I think he makes a lot of sense on this Orioles team as a, as a short-term solution and replacement for Rio Ruiz at this point. Yeah, a lot of the questions with Michael Franco is, is he even, is he worth stepping up from Rio Ruiz? Is he that much better than Rio Ruiz to be worth signing? And I would say yes. I think if the Orioles signed Franco, he would slide in as probably the number five, number six hitter in the lineup. And even though he's slightly worse defensively, I think his numbers offensively really make up for that. Yeah. He had five straight seasons of 14-plus home runs from 2015 to 2019, included a three-year span of 25, 24, and 22. Rio Ruiz really hasn't gotten close to that. He has a career OPS of 737, Rio Ruiz at 667, and Franco has a career slugging percentage of 437, and Ruiz sits at 372. It's a big upgrade yeah. offensively, and even though you are downgrading at least a little bit defensively at third base, I don't think this would mean that Rio Ruiz doesn't make the team yeah. if the Orioles signed Michael Franco. I think Ruiz would probably still be a rotational third base guy, and maybe if you are in the bottom of an inning and you really need defense, you could put in Ruiz for Franco at third. But I, Ruiz has been given his chance. It's not like the Orioles were really thinking that he would be their third baseman of the future, at least I don't think. He is not a top prospect. He hasn't really shown that potential all that much. And he's incredibly streaky. I mean, you can go on about the things that Rio Ruiz really needs to improve in 2021 if he's going to be your everyday third baseman. But I think Franco is 
a large enough upgrade where he would absolutely be worth signing. And as is the case with any free agents that the Orioles sign, you also have to look at tradeability. Yes. And I think Michael Franco might not have a huge trade value, but I think he would certainly have more trade value as it stands today than Rio Ruiz. And I think that there is a higher percent chance that come July 31st, he has more tradeability than Rio Ruiz. He's viewed better, I think, around the league. Yep. Um, he has the potential to bring back a higher return. So I think that he makes sense in that aspect as well. Because I do think, I don't know how high the percent chances you'd be able to trade him at the deadline, but it's certainly higher than the percent chance you'd be able to trade Rio Ruiz. A much better chance than Rio Ruiz, and contenders always look for bench bats. Yeah. right there. I don't think there is going to be a contender that wouldn't be interested in a somebody who can hit. Like, it sounds pretty simple, because I think it is. If Michael Franco is showing in the first half of the season that he can hit well, he will be a trade piece. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. And we've seen the Orioles turn some unlikely guys into trade pieces over the past couple of years since Michael Elias has taken over. Yeah. So I think that they might be able to to flip a Michael Franco at the deadline. And I do think he's he's worth an upgrade. Of course, that is dependent on the kind of contract that he wants at this point. I don't know if he is going to get a major league deal from a team. I, th- I think he has a chance to. He's, I think he's right on the edge yeah. between a minor league deal with a spring training invite and a major league deal. Well, I think the thing with Michael Franco is if you are looking for encouraging signs that he might choose the Orioles over a team like the Mets that has also, also shown interest, look at Freddie Galvis. Freddie Galvis, in his introductory press conference, said that one of the big reasons that he came to the Orioles is because he had an opportunity to be a starter, he had an opportunity to play most days, and that was important to him for obvious reasons. You want to play if you're signing somewhere. And I think if Franco signs with the Orioles, it probably gives him the best chance out of probably most teams in baseball to be a pretty consistent player. Yeah, and with the added benefit that if he wants to be on a contender and he plays well enough with the Orioles, he might be flipped to a contender right? Uh, by July 31st. And at that point, maybe Ryland Bannon is ready to take over as your everyday third baseman. You're ready to give him a try. So I think it makes sense. I don't know how likely it is that the Orioles will go out and sign Michael Franco, but I think uh, it would be fun. He is a very fun player. Too. Yes. Uh, if you haven't seen any video of him playing, I would definitely recommend it because he uh, hits a lot of walk-offs, one. That he does. Uh, and plays with a lot of confidence and fun energy. Yeah. Uh, does a lot of fun bat flips. Um, and it to me, that's worth, uh, you know, maybe some defensive lapses at third. Getting some fun bat flips in there. Yeah. Well, look, I'm a simple guy, Paul. I see a good hitter on the free agent market, and I want him. Yeah, that's fair. That's pretty much it. We'll see <laughs> if anything happens on that front. Is there anything else you want to talk about here on this podcast, Brendan? I don't know, Paul. We've run through the game. We of the topics. forgot about the mascot draft, yeah. so we will do that next week. And there are a ton of spring training dead uh, storylines, excuse yeah. me. And I'm sure as we go on throughout the next few weeks, we will get a more clear picture of the starting rotation battle, of the outfield yeah. battle, of, of the of infield the battle, which we haven't talked about too much. The battle between the utility guys that yeah. could make the Orioles roster between Pat Vileka and Ramon Urias, 
Urias has looked very good. I think if he continues that, then maybe he'll. Valleca has the looked Orioles. good too, though. Valleca has. I think Valleca has a much better chance to make the roster yeah. than Urias does. I think Urias is kind of fighting an uphill battle at this point. But if Urias continues to impress and shows that he can play second base shortstop because he's probably a better defensive option at, say, shortstop than Pat Vileka is, I don't know. Maybe maybe he can convince the Orioles to not take 14 pitchers. Maybe you take 13 and you take both Vileka and Ramon Urias. Did Urias get any starts at short last year? I'm he trying did. To remember. I remember he started most of his games at second, and he got some games in as a DH. I want to say Urias got maybe five starts. Did he have any games as a DJ? That is a good question, and I don't know the answer. Because Ramon Urias started uh, I'm four games. For that he actually started four games at shortstop last year and two games at second so base. So I was wrong. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll yes, see. You were. Bigger sample size from R- Ramon Urias. He's younger than Pafaleka. Uh, maybe he can steal a spot there. And yeah. we've already seen the first round of cuts so far as guys get sent to the uh, Twin Lakes camp. So who's going to get cut in the next round? Who's going to get sent to the uh, Twin Lakes side? Uh, we'll see. But the roster is going to start to take shape yeah. in the coming weeks. Exciting stuff. There's a 1 o'clock game today. I believe Dean Kramer takes the mound for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. Um, and uh, our our predictions will change, and and perceptions of these players, particularly those rotation pieces, will change as yes. they get their second and third starts of spring training. That just about does it for our podcast. Thanks to everybody who is watching live. If you're not watching live, you should be. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. At Brendan Morty is your Twitter handle. That it is. At Paul Mancano. Please rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you are watching or listening to this podcast as. We do these podcasts once a week. Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And yet I forget the day of the week. Yeah, you do. When it comes to that day. Yeah. Um, and of course, be sure to stick along with MassInSports.com as Steve Molesky and Rock Kabaka will have you covered, as they always do, uh, on that side as well. He's Brandon Mortensen. I'm Paul Mancano. We'll see you later.